Welcome to the weekly sermon podcast from First United Methodist Church of Murfreesboro. It is an honor and privilege to share this time with you. We love studying the scriptures and feel they are central to our preaching, teaching, and living of the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Our mission here is to grow disciples of Jesus Christ who know him, love him, and serve him for the transformation of Murfreesboro and the world. It is our prayer that God would use our preaching and teaching to do exactly that. If you have questions, thoughts, ideas, or just want to talk a little bit more about what you've heard today, we love to hear from you. Most of all, know that you are in our prayers as we listen together. Now, let's dive in. We are in Mark's gospel, the first chapter, beginning with the 14th verse. Let us hear the word of God. I'm sorry my microphone is jumping around. That's my fault, not their fault. Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came to Galilee proclaiming the good news of God and saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news or the good news of the kingdom. As Jesus passed along the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you fish for people. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. As he went a little farther, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John, who were in their boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men and followed him. The word of God for the people of God. And so we say, thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Oh God, we come to your word from so long ago this morning. We actually hear the words of Jesus, the call of Jesus to Simon and Andrew, James and John, also to us still today. Would you send your Holy Spirit now into our hearts to help us hear so very clearly the content of this good news that you brought to the world. Help us to hear, help us to do. In the name of Jesus we pray. May the people of God say, Amen. When we uh, were at the Sea of Galilee and saw that boat, I was really quite overwhelmed. It was amazing to think that they had found something from the days of Jesus, 2,000 years old, and had been able to get it out of the mud and preserve it, which took a whole lot of effort. I won't go into all of that. That was fascinating in itself. But I couldn't help, as I looked at that fishing boat that was found on the shores of the Sea of Galilee, I couldn't help but think about Jesus walking there such a peaceful, beautiful lake. It's really just a big lake. Calling Simon and Andrew, James and John, right out of their fishing boats. Uh, I thought, you know, they could have been in that very one that we saw there <laughs> at the Sea of Galilee. Maybe that's what happened. Jesus called them. They walked away and left that boat sitting there. It just got buried by the mud, and we found it 2,000 years later. 
Mark's account of this story stresses the immediacy of their response. They immediately leave their livelihoods and go follow Jesus. That's what they did. They immediately left everything and went to follow Jesus. I wonder what kind of an epiphany would have caused them to walk away from everything to follow this, this roaming country preacher whose only real credential was the endorsement of the now arrested prophet John the Baptist. <laughs> While Mark is very short on detail, I, I feel sure these four disciples had at least heard about Jesus uh, news spread quickly around the Sea of Galilee. I, I'm certain they, they had heard about the remarkable voice from heaven which came at Jesus' baptism. We heard the voice of God say, This is my Son, the Beloved, with you I am well pleased. I, I bet they had heard John say, One more powerful than I is coming after me. And I feel certain they had heard Jesus' own preaching, maybe heard about it, maybe heard it firsthand. Jesus' own preaching. This is where I want us to go today. I wonder what in the world is Jesus preaching that brings this kind of immediate response? What could he be saying that overwhelmed them in this way? And, and I wonder, are we able to hear that same message clearly today? Are we able to hear that? Thankfully, Mark helps us quite a bit. Verses 14 and 15 Jesus is proclaiming something called the good news of God. And he says, he says, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom. Uh, that's what he says. I don't know about you, but I, I need an epiphany moment here to understand how this preaching could result in people leaving everything behind to go and follow Jesus. So, so let's look at some words Jesus uses to try to get our, our hearts and minds around this thing. Verse 14, this good news is from God. This is the God revealed to us in Jesus Christ. That's really important. This is from God. Mark wants us to know, Jesus wants, to know, wants us to know, this good news is from God. Verse 15, he says, the time is fulfilled. The time is fulfilled. Kyrios in the Greek. This is God's time. It's different than clock time. It's not our time. Jesus is describing a major change of season on God's eternal calendar. This is not the last two minutes of a basketball game and we're about to win if we can just keep it together. That's not what we're talking about. Jesus says this is the decisive moment in history this moment has now arrived, and we are fully into this new thing which God is doing. The time, Kyrios, is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. So close, in fact, that you can step over into it now. You can step over into the kingdom now. But we wonder, what is the kingdom of God? What is that? Well, we'll come back to that in just a minute. First of all, we need to think about how, how do we step over into this kingdom that Jesus is describing. Well, Jesus says very plainly, repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom. Repent is metanoia in the Greek. To think differently is what it means, to think differently or, and or to change the inner person. The verb tense Jesus uses is present imperative active, which means it is a command 
which is expected to be followed as part of an ongoing process. This is not just a a one-time thing. This is a continuous thing that we're doing, repenting and believing in the good news of the kingdom. Particularly here, Jesus is directing us to think differently about the kingdom of God. Now, why would he say that? To think differently about the kingdom of God. Well, Well, we'll have to come back to that again. Our thinking differently is paired with believe in the good news. Believe in, in the Greek is, uh, Andrew, where are you? Say it for me again. Pistuo. I can never say that right. That's what it is in the Greek. Pistuo. Believe in. Y'all won't believe what I say. When, when I say it by myself, the word that comes out is not right. Pistuo is the word in the Greek. It means to completely entrust ourselves into this message about the kingdom. This is very different than the way we use believe in today. We have a whole different concept for believing. Mark and the other biblical writers, they would have had no concept of our modern use of belief, which is as kind of an intellectual agreement to the truth of some set of facts. That's how we use belief today. Our modern scientific minds, in fact, often turn the gospel into a set of facts which you can believe or not believe. That's how we do it. This is not exactly what Jesus is talking about. For Mark, belief was a lived reality emerging from an immersion in a particular way of understanding God and the world. You, you sort of swim in this gospel. You sense it. You feel it. You, you begin to live it out. You begin to see the truth of it more and more every day. That's how believing in worked in the first century. This is actually much more sophisticated than our modern way of believing in things because this kind of a belief is constantly deepened and nurtured by how you are living in community with other believers and by how you are daily repenting or thinking differently about the kingdom of God. It's not just a one-time agreement to a set of facts. That's not what we're talking about. A silly, but I think a very accurate example is this. This is a confessional moment. I'm glad that we don't have our security officers here today. Uh, I believe in speed limits, okay? I really do. I believe in speed limits. I see the signs. I actually, as a former civil engineer, I understand all of the engineering behind speed limits, the coefficients of friction, design speeds, traffic loads, skid resistance, pavement design and condition. All, I know how to come up with speed limits. I know how they are developed and how they are assigned to different kinds of roads. I am a firm believer in speed limits. They are crucial to the safety of our society. But the only time that I really obey them is when I see a police officer, okay? That's just what happens with me. Uh, Have I agreed to the basic facts of the speed limit? Absolutely, I agree with the basic facts of the speed limit. Do I live differently because of them? Only when Smokey Bear is watching. That's, That's the truth. Do you see the difference? Do you see... The difference there, sometimes we reduce our belief in the gospel to something more akin to my belief in speed limits. Oh, we can tell you all about it, but is it actually shaping the living out of the unfolding kingdom of God? Maybe, maybe not. If not, perhaps it is because we have turned the gospel into a set of facts that we can recite 
rather than a way of life in the kingdom of God into which Jesus calls all of us. For Jesus, this gospel is the good news of the kingdom of God. Now, here we go. We have to put our first century ears on to be able to understand that this phrase, kingdom of God, was part of the daily vocabulary of faithful Jewish people. They talked about this all of the time. Everybody was desperately hoping for the coming of the kingdom of God, which Bishop Will Willimon has called the will of God, the reign of God, and the rule of God. Said another way, it's what God wants, the way God wants it, when God wants it. That's what this thing is, the kingdom of God. Most people in Jesus' time felt like the kingdom would come when a powerful warrior called the Messiah came to deliver God's people from their oppressors. People understandably imagined revolution, overthrow, blood in the streets, the righteous anger of generations finally given voice when, when the mighty angel armies lift God's people into places of power with swords and pitchforks, and then God rules over all of it. In the hearts and minds of the religious people of Jesus' time, the kingdom of God is coming with swords and pitchforks and anger. That's what it looks like. That's what it feels like. Which is why it is so startling to hear Jesus say to these folks, we must think differently about the kingdom of God and that that kingdom is already here. So close, in fact, that you could step right into it if you weren't missing it because of your corrupted thinking. Now, I wonder, would Jesus still say that to us today? Would he still tell us that same thing today? Through the rest of Mark's gospel, Jesus reveals to us the nature of the kingdom of God, healings of undeserving people, miracles which push the bounds of polite society, near constant engagement with the sinners whom religious society blames for their current oppression, and Jesus' teaching in parables or stories which counter the images of violent revolution with the promise of a heart revolution which has already begun, a revolution easily understood by the poor, simple folk in the Galilean countryside. Parables like seed scattered over all kinds of soil. The tiny little mustard plant that grows into an incredible dwelling place for all kinds of birds. A seemingly perfect man trapped beneath the weight of his own success. The widow's might, the growing fig tree, and on and on Jesus goes. Another theme of Mark's gospel is this constant questioning of Jesus from the religious people who are so dug in on this corrupted vision of God's kingdom. They say things like, why does he eat with sinners and tax collectors? Jesus has to answer their demand their question, because I have come to call not the righteous, but sinners. That's why I'm eating with sinners and tax collectors. Ultimately, we know how the story goes. The preaching of Jesus is so unsettling to his own people that they rise up and kill him because he threatens their vision of what God should be doing in the world. They miss the very kingdom for which they've been waiting because their hearts are too cold their minds are too made up and their belief in self-righteousness exceeds their belief in the good news of God's kingdom. Now, God graciously raises Jesus from the dead and presents him again to these folks with many convincing proofs which do 
break open a whole lot of these hardened hearts. I can't help but wonder, as I consider Mark's account today, (laughs) am I picking up what Jesus is putting down here? (laughs) Am I really getting this good news that Jesus brings, that, that God's kingdom is actually here? that every soul is already invited, that the revolution of grace has already begun. It's happening one heart at a time, that the way the kingdom works is God so fills our hearts with love that our own sin is burned away and that we actually want to do what is right, not because we have to, but because we can. And then that we are so overwhelmed with a desire for the well-being of every single human that we actually have come to appreciate the patience of God who is taking his time to make sure everybody has a chance to finally step over into this kingdom that is coming to the world. Am I getting all of that? That is the question. Am I getting all of that? Or am I still craving the satisfaction of angry swords and pitchforks? Only God knows the answer to that question. But every single day, he invites me into something better. The question is, will I repent and believe in this kingdom even more today than I did yesterday? Will I leave my boat stuck in the mud and go with him on this road to real life? That's the question that I face. What about you? How do you answer that question? Will you leave everything and follow him? Let's pray together. Oh God, you have laid before us a vision of your kingdom, a kingdom of hope and love, of peace and salvation, of righteousness and holiness, a kingdom where all have what they need to flourish. Would you help us, O God, to leave behind everything that we may follow you into this kingdom, that we may do our part in helping others find their way too. Lord, help us to have the courage to follow We pray this in the name of your son, Jesus. May the people of God say, amen.